Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sarah Seidner, and this is CNN Tonight. This is the scene outside the United States Supreme Court this evening after one of the most consequential rulings in modern history, a reversal of a precedent that has been in place for nearly 50 years. Women in America no longer have a constitutional right to an abortion. A live look now at the demonstrations which have popped up around the country and earlier in the day when the Supreme Court decision came down reversing Roe versus Wade, this is what it looked like when conservatives who believe they are saving unborn children heard the decision. Happiness, hugging, and cheering. The opposite emotions from those who say this is just another way to control a woman and limit the choices she can make about her own life. The Supreme Court issued an illegitimate fascist ruling. This decision is an outrage. The fight over the issue is by no means over, but the decision is already having real-world impact. Tonight, for the first time since Richard Nixon was in office, abortion is now illegal in eight states. South Dakota, Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, Wisconsin, Kentucky, and Alabama. And they will not be the only ones. Between states with so-called trigger laws that were designed to go into effect for precisely this moment, and states that may be able to use old, unenforced bans, more than half of the states could make abortion illegal in the coming hours, days, and weeks. Headlines from across the country. In New Orleans, the city's only abortion clinic closed by lunchtime. In Wisconsin, Planned Parenthood saw four patients today, but 70 more were sent home or had appointments for tomorrow canceled. And in Texas... Not only have clinics closed, groups that provide financial assistance to people seeking abortions have paused their funding. Writing for the high court's majority in the five to four decision, Justice Samuel Alito said, quote, Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. Its reasoning was exceptionally weak and the decision has had damaging consequences. And far from bringing about a national settlement of the abortion issue, Roe and Casey have inflamed debate and deepened division. If that section of the opinion sounds familiar, it is because Justice Alito wrote the same thing word for word in the draft opinion that was leaked, one that was strikingly similar overall to the final product. In his remarks condemning today's ruling, President Biden focused on the most recent conservative justices to join the court and the man who put them there. It's a sad day for the court and for the country. Now, with Roe gone, let's be very clear. The health and life of women in this nation are now at risk. It was three justices named by one president, Donald Trump, who were the core of today's decision to upend the scales of justice and eliminate a fundamental right for women in this country. 
the president also made clear he has no executive power to undo that ruling, instead putting the burden on Congress to try and restore Roe's protections. House Republicans, meanwhile, are looking at trying to get a 15-week abortion ban passed on the federal level, something House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy tells CNN he's open to. But as of tonight, the matter is now one for the states. I'm joined tonight by Nancy Northup. She is the president and CEO of the Center for Reproductive Rights, which represented the Mississippi Abortion Clinic at the center of today's Supreme Court ruling. Nancy, welcome. Thank you. Nancy, you've anticipated this could happen. A lot of people did after they saw that leaked document. Uh, Now that it has, can you give me a sense of what that moment was like when you heard the Supreme Court's decision knocking down Roe versus Wade? What was that like for you? It was absolutely gut-wrenching, even though I intellectually knew this was the decision that was going to come down from the court. Uh, As soon as I saw on the SCOTUS blog, uh, you know, feed that the Dobbs decision was out and that it was Justice Alito's opinion, it was clear that it was going to be the version that we had seen in the leaked draft opinion. So it's devastating. The Center for Reproductive Rights represents the Jackson Women's Health Organization, the clinic in Mississippi at the center of this case, and other abortion providers across the country. And our lawyers had to be on the phone with them today talking about what the future holds because of this decision. Can I ask you, you know, in a follow-up question, what does the future hold? Uh, What is the future of your fight? Well, in the very immediate term, it's going to be to try to stop these trigger laws from going into effect. 13 states have them, and they purport to say that as soon as Roe versus Wade is overturned, that they will be banning abortion. Some say right away, like Louisiana. Others say there's a, maybe 10 days, two weeks. But we'll be seeking to stop those from going into effect, so stay tuned for that. Uh, also, to make sure that At every level of government and every branch of government, we look to both the White House and the executive branch for the full ability to use their power to keep abortion access. We look to states that are going to be able to strengthen their own laws. Michigan's got an issue on the ballot to protect abortion rights uh, this fall. That's going to be important. So we're going to be making sure state constitutions we're going to be seeking to get those. Many states already have constitutional protections. It's going to be really, really tough, which is why people out on the streets right now in the United States making their voices heard is so incredibly important. We are seeing that in, in plenty of places across the country right now. You're seeing a San Francisco, a, a very high up shot of people in the streets protesting. But I do want to talk to you about the, the other side of this argument. I mean, have you ever tried to understand, to empathize with the point of view um, that many conservatives certainly take and those who are against uh, the abortions being legal, that they're on the side of the unborn because the unborn cannot speak for themselves? The Supreme Court has made clear, and this debate, which has gone on for decades, people have strong feelings on both sides of it. But the Supreme Court in the Roe decision, and again, they they asked this very issue 30 years ago in Planned Parenthood versus Casey, what do you do when there's such division of opinion? And the court has reached a compromise previously in its decisions where it recognizes how central to a woman's health and her life and her future plan. It is to be able to control a pregnancy and had recognized that the state could 
uh, regulate some in abortion because of the interest in developing embryonic and fetal life. So that was a compromise, as, as Justice Breyer has talked about it. And the court upset that today and completely removed the pregnant person's side of the equation, completely removed it. Abortion clinics across the South and Midwest have already started to close, as you had mentioned. Um, in your estimation, what does this mean for some women who live in those states, for their reproductive health, um, and for those who wanted abortions, what does it mean for them? Look, it means that people who are seeking abortion care are going to have to leave their states traveling hundreds or maybe thousands of miles if they have the means to do so. Now, luckily, we have employers, companies that are stepping up and saying they're going to cover their employees' ability to do that. Others will rely on abortion funds, which are important to support people having to leave the state, but some aren't going to have the means to do so, and they're going to be forced to carry their pregnancies to term. And the other thing that people might not realize is that for women who are miscarrying, that this is going to get them caught up. And we already saw this in Texas with its extreme ban that was pre previously and currently in effect, that they get caught up with not being able to get the care they need for miscarriage management because of the chilling effect of abortion bans. So as soon as you start criminalizing abortion, you're making every miscarriage possibly a crime scene. And this is why it is so clear that none of this should be part of the criminal law. It should be part of medical care between a patient and their doctor. You had mentioned the, the, the trigger laws. Uh, there already are abortion bans being implemented. 13 states have those laws in place. 13 will likely follow. And, and conservatives are already talking about getting a federal law ban on abortions up to 15 weeks. What will be your move? Because uh, this is definitely clear that the fight is not over. And there are people who feel very deeply and strongly and have very strong convictions that they want abortion to end in this country? Well, the vast majority, as recent polls have shown, in fact, we're at an all-time high of people in the United States that want access to abortion to be legal. And the fight will continue. It will continue at the state level. It will continue in ballot initiatives. It will continue in the courts with state constitutional protections. And it will continue at the federal level. The president said today that the administration would be looking to protect abortion access. He referenced both medication abortion and also the ability for people to go to other states. And look, the United States is an enormous outlier to the rest of the world, which has been moving forward in the last 30 years. 60 countries have liberalized their abortion laws. Today, we went backward, way behind the rest of the world. And we're seeing outrage from around the world about this decision. Of course, the folks on the other side of this think that this is a great day in America. Nancy Northup, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Yeah. Please stick with us in just a bit. We have a passionate panel of women with very different views on the Supreme Court's Roe versus Wade decision between them. One is celebrating, the other's infuriated. But first, one of the most well-known political candidates in the state of Georgia looking to ban abortion, Stacey Abrams is now going to join me in the next break. Some health experts are warning that the overturning of Roe versus Wade will worsen maternal death rates. The U.S. already has the highest maternal mortality rate among developed nations. And black women 
are three times more likely to die in pregnancy or childbirth than white women. The mortality crisis hits especially hard in the state of Georgia, where the racial disparities in health care are even worse. And maternal death rates are the second highest in the United States. Joining me now is Stacey Abrams, the Democratic nominee for Georgia governor. We should also mention that we invited uh, your... Um, your opposite on from the Republican side of things, and he declined. I want to start with what we are seeing right now from the Supreme Court. There are people out in droves protesting the Roe versus Wade decision, but there are some also out celebrating it. I want to get your reaction on today's ruling and what it will mean for the women in your state, especially in your view, the women of color. It, it's dangerous. It is appalling. I am angry, uh, but I'm also committed we know that Georgia has, we have, our population is 33% African-American. And as you pointed out, black women face three times higher maternal mortality rate than their white counterparts. For Hispanic women, it's nearly the same. And we have two of the largest populations in the state. We also are ranked near the bottom in terms of access to health care. We are number two in the number of uninsured. We have a very broken health care system. We have refused to expand Medicaid. Our maternal mortality rates are extraordinary. We're number six in terms of infant mortality. And what all of this means is that we have a healthcare system that is not equipped to do the very job it should do. And now we're going to add additional pressure by not only denying women access to medical care, but we're also going to criminalize and prosecute doctors for providing that care. That is setting up a situation where Georgia becomes dangerous for women. And that is untenable. That's a really strong statement that you're saying your state becomes, as you put it, dangerous for women. I want to talk about a recent poll um, out of Georgia. It shows that 68 percent of Georgia voters oppose the Supreme Court's action today. Fifty four percent are also against the state's six-week abortion ban, which is sure to be reinstated. Governor Kemp has vowed to go further. He said he wants to outdo other governors in passing the toughest anti-abortion laws. What does this mean for your political run? And do you, or any time in your life, did you think that abortion should be illegal? And, and let's start with that part of the question. I was very much on the side of anti-abortion through much of my upbringing. I grew up in Mississippi in a very religious family, in a religious community. And I was raised to have a very uncritical eye to this question. Once I started really thinking about what it meant, and more importantly, when I had a friend who had to confront the very real consequences of an unwanted pregnancy, and I wasn't able to give any help to her. I had to reevaluate where I stood. I understand the sincere concerns, but those are religious concerns or often concerns driven by personal morality, and that should be your choice. But abortion is a medical issue. It is about a medical decision, and there is no place in that medical decision for ideology or for politicians. And so the question of what we should do, politics is about how we make choices in a democracy. And in our country, and as of today, that choice has to be made by the governors in each of our states. The governor of Georgia has already said he does not care about women and their bodily autonomy. He does not care about their health because he not only has already adopted and signed into law the most restrictive abortion law in Georgia's history with the with the constrictions at six weeks, he has said in interviews that he intends, that he also supports eliminating access for incest and rape. This is someone who cannot be trusted 
to simply stop at the water's edge. He is going to go further and further, and anyone who doubts it simply has to listen to his words. For women in Georgia, especially women of color in Georgia, Brian Kemp is dangerous. He does not intend to protect women or their bodies, and worse, he does not intend to provide them with the health care they need. He refuses to expand Medicaid, although we can afford it. He refuses to do what's right for the women of Georgia. This is the same man who claims to care about women and children who was throwing away thousands of canisters of baby formula as recently as a month ago because he does not care what happens after birth. He does not care about what happens to our communities. And I would dare anyone to look at his record and to look at his rhetoric and tell me how this is someone who should be in charge of the lives of women in the state of Georgia. I I do not speak for Governor Kemp, but I know that he would push back to say that he does very much care about women and families. Um, You are saying, in your view, that when you look at uh, some of the things that he has said and some of the legislation he's pushing forward, you completely disagree. I'd like to turn to another major issue uh, brought up by the U.S. Supreme Court. Congress uh, finally passed bipartisan um, gun reforms today, which you've called an important step. Um, We also, though, have this ruling by the Supreme Court that basically says states can't really regulate, um, you know, guns, uh, especially when it comes to uh, being able to just carry them around in the streets. What do you think are the challenges going forward in Georgia and the rest of the country? And I think this goes to my, my earlier point, and I appreciate the even-handedness that you're taking. But let's be clear. I'm not speaking from rhetorical space. I'm speaking from the record that we have seen in Georgia. On the issue of gun violence in the state of Georgia, my opponent in the face of opposition from law enforcement, eased gun laws in the state of Georgia. After a massacre just a year ago, he has taken steps to make it easier for criminals to carry weapons, for those who have domestic violence convictions to carry weapons, for those who have mental health concerns to carry weapons in the streets. His hypocrisy is what I want people to look at. And what we know is that what the Supreme Court has done is still less than what Georgia has already done. What the Supreme Court did by rolling back New York's laws made it less safe for New Yorkers, but Brian Kemp has already done that here in the state of Georgia. And my deep concern is that you cannot claim to care about the people in your state and take actions using the law to limit their protection, to undercut their safety, and to place them in harm's way. That contradiction and that hypocrisy to me is unfathomable. And we know that if you look at his record, put my rhetoric aside, put his rhetoric aside, His record does not show a concern for the life and welfare of Georgians. There are those he will speak up for, but too often in our state, the people who are the most vulnerable, who are the most fragile, or in the most need of assistance do not receive it. And whether we're talking about babies trying to get formula or women who simply want to survive, his decisions are harming them. And for communities that are afraid of gun violence, which has increased under his watch, he has made it easier, not harder, to carry those very weapons of violence that have put our communities in harm's way. Stacey Abrams, I appreciate you coming on. You're the Democratic nominee for the governor of Georgia. And I do want to, again, extend uh, a request from Governor Kemp. Come on the show. We will talk through this. Thank you so much for being here, Stacey. Thank you for having me. We're watching the scenes outside the Supreme Court and throughout the nation on this extraordinary night. Ahead, we'll look at what's next for the court as Justice Thomas looks at revisiting potentially other major rulings. And what do Democrats do after this massive defeat for reproductive rights? We'll have the conversation when CNN Tonight returns.
two precedent-setting decisions erased in about 24 hours. Roe was the law of the land for nearly 50 years, and the New York gun law was on the books for more than a century. We watched as legal history was rewritten by justices who once said they wouldn't dare change long-held precedent. It is a a precedent that has now been uh, on the books for several decades. It has been challenged. It has been reaffirmed. Part of being a good judge is coming in and taking precedent as it stands. As a judge, it is an important precedent of the Supreme Court. By it, I mean Roe v. Wade. A fetus is not a person. That's the law of the land. I accept the law of the land. We should note, before all this, confidence in the U.S. Supreme Court had hit a historic low, down 11 percent from just one year ago. We have lots to talk about as I'm joined by CNN legal analyst Jennifer Rogers, former Congresswoman Abby Finnecrower, and conservative commentator Carrie Sheffield. Ladies, thank you so much for being here. Um, it is an incredibly emotional night for a lot of people um, on both sides of the aisle. Um, I'm going to start with you, Jennifer. Um, in Roe versus Wade, the justices said that abortion was a constitutional right. Now the justices are saying it is absolutely not a constitutional right. It is now up to the states. Is this the first time that the Supreme Court made a decision saying something was constitutional and has taken that back? Well, it's the first time that the court has affirmatively recognized a constitutional right that it said is is new or just newly discovered. So in Roe, they said there is now, for the first time, a constitutional right to abortion grounded in the right to privacy. So that was the first time that had been said. Now, 49 years later, they're saying, hey, wait a minute, when we said that and then when we reaffirmed it again and again and again over all these years across all these different Supreme Courts, we were wrong, we didn't mean it, we're taking it back. It's the first time that that has ever happened. When you saw what happened, Carrie, what did you think? And what do you think about this argument that this is a precedent-setting case and you heard the justices there saying we would not mess with precedent. Precedent is precedent and we're going to leave it as it is. But that's not what happened today. Sure. So I rejoiced. I felt like we finally had justice for the unborn, the preborn children. And so I felt deep gratitude that this has been finally recognized after 50 years of striving and fighting for this moment. Um, in terms of the precedent, I think what, what I've heard from people who work and have worked with these justices, they said that they would respect precedent, but just because you understand or respect precedent does not mean that precedent should stand. For example, in the case of Plessy versus Ferguson, which established separate but equal, that was in 1896, and it was overturned with Bro- uh, the Board, Brown v. Board of Education, 1954, many decades later. And so certainly understanding that precedent is not, by no means ironclad, that there is a moral weight and a moral right, that the personhood of the child that is preborn should be recognized as something that is enumerated to the states. And so the word, the enumeration within the Constitution, which I have right here tonight, I, I it, is a, it is an yep. enumerated uh, right that the states have. Anything that is not enumerated to the federal government shall be uh, with the states. And that is what we see here. So let me ask you this, because the states are doing this, right? This is now up to the states. But there are Republicans trying to push forward a federal ban on abortions that are more than 15 weeks. Do you agree that a federal ban should be put in place? Well, I think what's important to just take a step back and note that if you're if you're living in California or New York or the you know more progressive right. areas, nothing will change. This is where things are, and wait, I think wait, that wait, when wait, you're talking federal about, ban I, mean, comes in. I knew this was going to happen. Well, yes, Abby, I mean, I, you literally I, I, so just so you it. don't. But do you think just yes or no? Is it, should this be also a federal ban eventually? 
in well, your mind. I, I personally prefer that, but I know that, that people on the other side don't prefer that. And so that is the beauty of federalism to say there will, the people will migrate. They will vote with their feet at the end of the day. So as much as I would like to see a federal ban, I know that that is politically unlikely. And so that, I think, is the best compromise. And in fact, Ruth Bader Ginsburg said do not that she... Her. Do not say her I, let name me quote, tonight from let me your quote mouth her. after Excuse what you just me. said. You are literally... Excuse you me. cited I'm gonna, a case I'm gonna, from I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna go to Abby. Disrespectful. You literally just cited a case from 1896 before women had the right to vote in this country. What happened today is absolutely horrifying. And every single person in this country, including you, who's celebrating today about this overturning, you support a 12-year-old who's been raped to have to actually carry her pregnancy to term. That is what you support. You support women dying in this country if they have an atopic pregnancy because that is what will happen. You're putting words in my mouth. That is what you support. That is not okay. That is what you support when you support the overturning of Roe. I never said anything about Because that is what this decision has caused. That is what this decision has caused. Hold on a second. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. So You taking away my rights and supporting it is disrespectful. So Abby makes one point about Plessy versus Ferguson. And I have heard this argument before. I think everyone has heard the argument uh, that this was back in the 1800s. And then 54 years later, Brown versus Board of Education came up and a decision was made um, that reversed that. I I do want to ask you, Abby, what do you think about that particular argument? Because all Americans probably at this point, I I would say most Americans, think that was the right decision. And what Carrie is saying is this is also a moral decision and this Look, is this is the can, right decision. You can have your moral decisions and your moral beliefs, sincerely, your religious beliefs, your moral beliefs. You should be able to have those in this country. It is the United States of America, and you should be able to act on your moral and religious beliefs. But what I am asking tonight is that people wake up in this country and respect me. Respect women across this country, our choices, respect doctors. That is what this is about. Literally, women will die. That is what's happening. When Roe, again, is being overturned today, you will have 12-year-olds having to carry a rapist pregnancy to term. That the is answer what is to happening. violence is not that more is violence. Is abortion happening. is violence. All abortion is violence forcing, to an unborn child. Birth is abortion violence. is okay. a violence. So you, we've, got the, we've got the two violence. very yes. strong arguments. And, and, and to be I'll fair, in this country, both arguments have been um, so strongly put on the table. You can talk to anybody about it. If they're on either side of this, you're going to get this. Um, and so I do applaud you for caring so much about this issue because it is is an issue that deeply affects women um, and ostensibly children. All right, the legal side of this, because we talked about Plessy versus Ferguson, Brown versus Board of Education. Weigh in on that argument. So if you're going to overturn a precedent, right, stare decisis, supposed to be one of the fundamental foundational things that the Supreme Court is based on. That's what Justice Roberts says in his concurring opinion, which is why he doesn't, he didn't want to go as far as to overturn Roe versus Wade because judicial restraint and stare decisis dictated that they not do that, but they did anyway. So the difference between what happened today and what happened in Brown v. Board of Education is that Plessy v. Ferguson was a decision that was made that, that, that didn't it didn't grant a right, but it didn't take away a right. Like so it, it didn't it just, grant a constitutional right. It didn't right, grant a constitutional but right. But it created a situation. All these years later, the court said, hey, you know what? We got that wrong when we made that decision. We now, all these years later, with society having changed and us, frankly, having you know understood the rights. Uh, it was a racial discrimination case, of course. 
we now are making the right decision and overturning that wrong decision. But they didn't take away a right that had been granted. Today, the court really goes backwards. So in other words, in, in board, Brown, they're moving forward. They're moving forward with the progress of society. Today, we're moving backwards more than 50 years, saying, you had a right, women, for all those years. It was great, but guess what? It's gone now. That's moving us backwards against the will of society, which is very much in favor of safe and legal abortion. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Carrie, I'll let you uh, weigh in on that, but not yet. We're going to go to a break real quick. Jennifer, Abby, Carey, we're going to stick with you. Uh, We're going to keep talking about this because this is something that has really affected everyone, not just women, in this country. Continuing our conversation now with Jennifer Rogers, Abby Finkenauer, and Carrie Sheffield. It's been heated. I want to take a moment to look at what everyday Americans um, think. And the polling time after again has shown that Americans in general uh, thought that Roe should stand with some caveats, that there should be some restrictions. A lot of people, when you talk to them about their feelings about it, it changes a little, but, but in general. Um, so do you, do you think that this is the minority leading the majority? In other words, that the Supreme Court has taken the side of people in the minority when the majority of Americans actually believe that Roe should be the law of the land with the caveat of some restrictions on abortion, Carrie? Right. Well, and those restrictions are key. And so Gallup has tracked this for decades. And when you see there is a spectrum in terms of intensity and propensity to support abortion or be pro-life, that the, the, the longer the gestation period, that the, you know, the weaker the support for abortion becomes. And so once you hit uh, about after the first trimester, it then becomes a majority of Americans who say they support restrictions on abortion. And so at that point, at what point is it the minority leading the majority to say that this is a federal right? It is not a federal right. And I do want to quote Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She said that the Roe decision halted a political process that was moving in a reform direction and thereby, I believed, prolonged divisiveness and deferred stable sentiment of the issue. So I think what we have in the states, and again, you're going to have a much higher propensity in a state where I'm from, Missouri, for example, which has one of these trigger laws, and and I applaud it. I think it's great in in my home state. Um, Whereas in New York or in California, this is, I believe, the way forward. And unfortunately, Roe was actually a monkey wrench in in all this process. That is not, she's not the only person that brought that up, but it was clear that Ruth Bader Ginsburg thought that Roe should be the law of the land, even though that argument, that legal argument had been made by by others that be, when this decision was made, it caused ascension. The states were already going this way. What do you make of this idea that a lot of people in our country, when they are polled, say that Roe should stand, even though, as we talked about, there, there should be restrictions, and yet it's now not the law of the land. It is now up to the states. Look, I think it's imperative right now that Democrats in particular, people who care about freedom, care about women and our health care, get very loud, but very, very honest about what this really, really means. I mean, we've had conservatives talking about the extremes and all of that for all of these years. I remember running for office in 2018. The (laughs) attacks used against me were basically saying I was ripping babies out of wombs and selling their body parts on the street corner. That's absurd. Those are lies. We don't need lies. We just have facts. And the fact is, right now, because of the overturning of Roe v. Wade, again, you will have 
children who are raped having to carry a pregnancy to term in this country. Women will die. That is what this decision means. And if you support the overturning of Roe today, you support those things happening. That is the fact, because that is what will happen in Kentucky. That's what's going to happen in Oklahoma. That is what's going to happen, quite frankly, in states like Iowa, where you're going to have these governors who are conservatives tripping over themselves, just trying to get to the furthest right as they can because they want to run for president next or they want to be the vice president next. That is what's going to happen. And again, women will die. In so states, that, hold you on are a second, inflaming hold on a and I, using rhetoric that is untrue. Oh, but come on. Hold on. Excuse me. I let you speak without interrupting I am sta- I am me. I did not interrupt facts. you. Excuse me. I am no, you want to know the facts. truth about you brought ectopic pregnancies up? Planned Parenthood says that ectopic pregnancy is not an abortion. It is a. It is. It, it, it is. No, it is not an abortion. No, check with Planned Parenthood. Mayo Clinic says that it is not an abortion. It is not. Medical care for women is not an abortion. Ladies, we're going to leave it there because we have another big issue. Have we have another big issue to talk about. Do you guys, a guys, guys, to carry a guys, term? let's stop here because I know what your answer is going to be. We're going to talk about another issue that came up that isn't just about abortion. It is about something Justice Thomas said. He made big news because if you start reading this decision, he talks about and argues that other precedent setting cases should be revisited, like contraception, like gay marriage. I got to ask you. And I'm going to ask this to all of you, but first to Carrie, because you're the legal mind here. Does this hurt the legitimacy of the Supreme Court? Well, it seems to. I mean, they're not Carrie. I'm sorry. Jennifer. Jennifer. Their 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 approval ratings are certainly way, way down. And and part of it is just the the inconsistency that you see. I mean, we talk about states' rights. And yet yesterday, the Supreme Court came out with this big decision saying, oh, states, you know, you would like to do what you want with concealed carry and guns, but we're not going to let you because we're going to declare that despite not being in the text of the Constitution, everyone has a right to carry whatever they want outside of the home. Today, the court goes in the opposite direction and says, states, you, you know, no longer can do what you want. Uh, or no, you can do what you want with respect to abortion. There's no federal rights. So some of it is the inconsistency, but some of it is this just flat out, at least he's honest, statement by Justice Thomas saying, we're not done. We've got a lot more things to do. You know, we've knocked out abortion, which is based on the right of privacy. There is no principled legal distinction between abortion's right to privacy and the gay marriage, the same-sex sexual conduct right to privacy, even the contraception right to privacy. These are all based on the same thing that the court has now said no longer exists. People don't like that. People don't want to think that their right to go out and get contraception, even as a married couple, can be taken away from them. And, you know, the distinction they try to make, they say abortion is different. Why? Because abortion is a tough moral question. It's a moral issue for people. But the court's supposed to be doing the legal question, correct? But you know what else is a moral question for a lot of those same people? Contraception. Gay rights. The same people will find a moral question, a serious moral question with those things, too. And so Thomas at least is telling us where he wants to go, however many justices he can get with him. But let me tell you, this is not the Roberts court anymore. This is the Thomas and Alito court. And they're going to get at least some of those people on this ride to take away all of these other rights, too. Carrie, I know that you agree with this court. You like the, the, the way it's going. A lot of conservatives do. Most conservatives do. Abby, I know where you stand. I know where you stand. Uh, we will continue this conversation over the next days and weeks. Thank you all three for being here and just being so knowledgeable and so passionate. Um, we're going to have someone coming up, a unique perspective, really, on this week's action on gun violence legislation in Congress and the Supreme Court. I'll be joined by a doctor who is not only seeing the crisis in the emergency room, 
but he is also a survivor himself of gun violence. That is coming up next. Congress just did what many thought was unthinkable. They passed a bipartisan gun bill. This just a day after the Supreme Court expanded access to firearms. The concern now is about how these actions will affect the rise in gun violence. My next guest knows the consequences far too well. Dr. Joseph Sacron is the Director of Emergency General Surgery at Johns Hopkins. Doctor, I really appreciate you coming in um, on this day. Thanks so much for having me, sir. First of all, I want to just explain a little bit about your story. You don't just treat people, and you are not just familiar with people who have um, injuries and sometimes die from uh, being shot. You yourself experienced it. Can you tell us what that was like for you? Yeah, I mean, so look, I come to this conversation as someone who, as a 17-year-old high school student, went from a healthy teenager to collateral damage after I was nearly killed when I was shot in the throat with a 38 caliber bullet. And I think, you know, when something like that happens, you know, for me at least, it inspired me to go into medicine and inspired me to become a trauma surgeon because I was trying to give other people the same second chance that I was given. And I think, you know, Sarah, as time progressed, I started to realize that, you know, we need to be thinking beyond our trauma center, beyond the operating room, because as good of a trauma surgeon that I think I am, as incredible as my team is, the reality is the best medical treatment is prevention. And that's why we've been working at this intersection of medicine, public health, and public policy to try to make that happen. Can I ask you what it is that we all, you know, who are not dealing with this kind of trauma of people coming in with gunshot wounds, what are you seeing and what are other doctors seeing around the country, whether they're in rural places where there isn't care close by or whether they're in big cities like Chicago uh, or New York or Oakland or, you know, Los Angeles, and they have large numbers of people who are getting shot on a regular basis? What kind of injuries, what are we missing? What kind of things happen to the body? Well, so I think, you know, let me just first say that when we talk about this, we often talk about this as it relates to the mass shootings, right? right? But what we as healthcare professionals, as trauma surgeons see, is the everyday toll of gun violence. And I can tell you, you know, it's operating on children that have been shot because of an unlocked you know, and loaded weapon. It's having to deliver a baby in a pregnant mom that was shot and killed. It's trying to operate on high school students that are bleeding and have pulverized bone and ripped arteries because of assault weapons. It's a variety of these spectrums. And every day in cities like Baltimore and Chicago and Philadelphia, we have young black men that are being killed on our streets. And so we have a responsibility to kind of elevate and tell those stories because we as healthcare professionals are seeing this every day. And I'll tell you, when we were in the Senate the other night getting ready to witness... We should mention that. You, you were there in the Senate when the Senate was passing this bill. Yeah. What was that moment like? Because most people said, nothing's going to be done. 19 children slaughtered, blown to bits with an AR-style rifle. And nobody cares, just like when Sandy Hook happened. And then... Something did happen. What do you think about the yeah. legislation? I mean, I, I think, let me just first say, I think it's historic. I, I think it's historic, and I think it's the first step, right? Mm-hmm. Like any complex public health problem, 
we need a variety of issues that's going to tackle this. And when I was sitting there, you know, in the Senate committee hearing, waiting to be ushered into the gallery, I looked around and I saw, you know, survivors, right? People that had lost their children, children that had lost their parents, right? People that had been shot themselves, all in this room waiting for this historic moment. For nearly 30 years, right, we've been begging the Senate and Congress to pass meaningful common sense. Do you think this is meaningful? I do think it was meaningful. And I think but more needs to happen. Is that yeah, kind of where you Exactly, but okay. more needs to happen. And I'll tell you what, you know, we saw both Democrats and Republicans come together on this. The commonality that exists in America is tremendous. And I think that sometimes doesn't get seen. Absolutely. Dr. Yeah. Sarkin, thank you so much for coming yeah. and explaining your story from your perspective yeah. as a trauma surgeon. Thanks so much Appreciate for having me, sir. Thank you so much for sticking with me. I will be back here at 9 o'clock Monday night. Don Lemon Tonight starts right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.